This is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is Season 3 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is Episode 115, and my name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. After, what is it, six, eight weeks of uh, no episodes, here we are again, and I am so excited to be talking about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability, all things homesteading with you, and I am just so excited about our upcoming season. Now, if you missed episode 114, definitely go back and check that out. I kind of laid out for you the vision for this season. And uh, so certainly take a listen to that if you haven't already. I don't want to repeat all of that, um, but I am so excited uh, for us to continue our journey together. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of that. With that said, let's jump right on over to this week's Homestead Happenings, and I'll bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on our homestead over the last several weeks. To be frank with you, we haven't done a whole lot. What do I mean by that? Well, as I've shared with you before on this podcast, during the winter months, we really try to draw things down here a little bit on the homestead. I'm not a four season gardener, so we don't have any gardening going on. We try not to have any animals be born. (laughs) Some winters I've had a little less success with that proposition, but uh, so far so good this year. We try to draw down the number of livestock that we have on hand. And uh, our days really, from a homesteading perspective, revolve around feeding, watering, caring for our animals. And that's pretty much it. Now in the winter, that can be a big pain in the butt because we're having to schlep water. We're having to break ice, um, shovel pads. Um, Sometimes it can be a bit of a pain in the butt, Uh, but we really try to, as much as we can limit our homesteading activities during the winter, which does give us opportunity to lean into other things. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But one of the things that we did do over this little bit of a break that I wanted to share with you um, was we tried our hand for the first time ever roasting a small piglet. Now, if you follow us on social media, you would have seen pictures of this, but uh, we took a small pig. It was actually one nut Jack um, that I had, uh, from last year, it was a borrow that I couldn't fully castrate. And so we went ahead and harvested him early. Now, when it all came down to it, he was a bit bigger than I thought. He dressed out a little over 30 pounds. And my plan was to roast him in the oven. And he was a little bit big. So we did end up having to take the head off. Um, and then he was able to fit in the oven in a roasting pan. It was the first time I'd ever tried it, and it really ended up coming out very, very, very good. Uh, we had that for New Year's Day, and uh, then we had leftovers a few days after that. I had plenty left over to send home with my mom and my aunt, 
and uh, they were able to enjoy it. But uh, it was just a new way for us to experience our American guinea hogs. And I really, really did enjoy it. Certainly the, um, the kill part of it is always tough, uh, but it was the best shot that I've ever had. So I was very thankful for that. And uh, then we did a scald and scrape on it. Um, and in the end, it just was very, very tasty. And uh, overall, I was very happy with the end product. And uh, so that was very, very exciting. But then after New Year's, well, we got hit by the old COVID. Um, Brian J came down with it. Then Bonnie came down with it. And then I came down with it. Uh, thankfully for us, it was uh, nowhere near as serious as what some other people um, that I, I know of have experienced with it. Um, I would describe it more as a hard, cold, mild flu. I probably got it the worst, and uh, I've certainly had worse flus before in my lifetime. And uh, so I'm very, very thankful that for us, it uh, it wasn't that, I don't want to say it wasn't that big of a deal, but it certainly wasn't um, as bad as what other people have experienced. And uh, again, for that, I'm very thankful. But uh, that certainly um, affected some of our plans here on the homestead. And uh, kind of put us behind in a few areas. Uh, and to a certain extent, I feel like we're still trying to catch up several weeks later. But uh, definitely glad to have that out of the way. And um, hopefully, um, well, hopefully we're getting to the end of this whole COVID thing. With it being winter here in beautiful upstate New York, it has really provided uh, Brian, Jay, and I in particular with the opportunity to enjoy some skiing and snowboarding. Uh, we both teach down at a local ski area. And while we did miss a couple of weeks because of COVID, um, we certainly have been enjoying that and leaning into that. Last week, he and I had the opportunity to go up to Pico Mountain in Vermont and spend a day uh, skiing and riding up there. And that was just absolutely a blast. We had so much fun. I have an app on my phone that keeps track of the number of runs and the distance. And uh, we put in almost 20 miles of riding and skiing on, um, I think it was last Monday. And uh, it's the earliest, I think, in the season we've ever done a big, a big day like that. Usually we try to reserve those 20-mile days for late February, early March, when we've had the opportunity to build up some, some endurance, but uh, we were able to do it. And I was able to get out of bed the next day. Um, and so just really enjoying that part of winter. And in fact, it was something that took place at Pico that is going to be the inspiration for this week's blog post. So as I mentioned on episode 114, I am going to be starting a weekly blog over at the homesteadjourney.net slash blog. And so head on over there and check that out. Look for that on Fridays or follow us on social media so that you're notified when that uh, post goes up. But uh, there was something that happened there at the uh, ski area that uh, I thought that's going to be a great topic for the first blog post. So you're not going to want to miss that. And also, as I mentioned on episode 114, 
I'm going to be starting a monthly newsletter. There seemed to be quite a bit of interest based on the survey in November for some written content from me. And so I'm going to give it a whirl and see how that uh, all plays out. So between the blog and the uh, monthly newsletter, um, hopefully that's going to scratch that itch for everybody. So if you are interested in subscribing to the newsletter, if you head on over to thehomesteadjourney.net slash newsletter, you'll have the opportunity to uh, sign up for that. And I'm just excited about that. Hopefully it will be packed chock full of helpful homesteading information and goodness for you. And so definitely, if that at all interests you, check it out, thehomesteadjourney.net slash newsletter. One final thing before we head on over to this week's Charting the Course. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can sign up to become a patron. For as little as $3 a month, you can support the show and become a member of the supporting listeners group that has now been moved from Facebook to Discord. There are also a $5 a month and a $10 a month tier, each with additional perks. But if you sign up in the month of February in celebration of the launch of season three, I will send you a small gift and a handwritten note. So head on over to thehomesteadjourney.net slash support for more information and to sign up today. All right. Let's head on over to this week's Charting the Course. So as I was thinking about kind of where to launch season three from, I started to think about the garden. It's that time of the year, depending on where you're at, where for us as homesteaders, our thoughts turn towards getting seeds in the ground, those warm days of spring. And I thought, what better place to kick off season three than talking about a garden-related topic? And as I thought about it, I I was going to do something along the lines of what you should be doing right now. But then I got to thinking, what you might be doing and what I should be doing may be two totally different things based on where we live. And so instead. I thought what we would talk about today are five things you should do before you buy seeds. I think for any gardener, regardless of how long you've been doing this, you may have been gardening for five decades, you may have been gardening for five years, you may have never gardened before. But I think all of us, experience, maybe we'll call it a bit of anxiety, (laughs) trying to know what we should buy and how much we should buy. When it comes time to buy seeds, we find ourselves flipping through the seed catalogs or we're standing in front of the seed displays at our local garden center, and we are tempted to buy all of the seeds, (laughs) especially if you've got a shiny catalog with beautiful pictures of vegetables or flowers. And then we want to buy all of the seeds. And if you buy quality seeds, 
it can cost you a little bit of money. No, I should say it could cost you quite a bit of money. Seeds aren't cheap. And not only that, but garden space is at a premium. It takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to prepare a garden space. Most of us don't have infinite, uh, we don't have an infinite amount of garden space at our disposal. If we are building uh, raised beds, there's a cost to that. If we're clearing land or we're prepping a space or we're wanting to do the back to Eden method and we're bringing in which all of that has a cost. Garden space is at a premium. And so how do we make sure that we limit the amount of money and time and garden space that we might waste by buying the wrong seeds? So the first thing that comes to my mind is this. Visit your pantry. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, go to where you store your canned goods or your freezer or your refrigerator, wherever you keep the vegetables that your family likes to eat and look them over. You see, the best advice I can give you is to grow what you like to eat. Don't try to grow what you think you should eat. (laughs) I've fallen into that trap before. Several years ago, I thought, you know, we should eat some more kale. And so I planted nine plants of kale. Now, we found that we do like kale, but we like kale in moderation, not nine plants worth of kale. (laughs) So be willing to try new things, but try new things in moderation. Focus on growing what you know you like to eat. Focus on growing what you know your family likes to eat. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that you may have tried in the past that might taste better fresh from the garden. My Uncle Tom, uh, for years, all he knew of asparagus is that nasty stuff that comes from a can. Well, I don't like that stuff either. But when he experienced asparagus fresh from the garden, it was mind-blowing to him. Now, I'm not going to say everything that you decided that you don't like is going to taste great out of the garden, but certainly trying a few new things here and there to at least give them a, a chance makes sense. But don't go whole hog and plant nine plants of kale or an entire row of uh, spinach or whatever it is, um, focus on growing what you know you like to eat and then experiment with a few new things, but in moderation. The second reason why I recommend you start in your pantry is for you to look and see what you already have on hand. Now, this is going to apply more to people who have been gardening for a while and have been preserving the harvest for a while. It's important for you to look and see, okay, how many jars of beans do I have on hand? How many bags of corn do I have in the freezer? Uh, How many jars of dehydrated tomato? Whatever it is, but how much do I have on hand to make sure that you don't overwhelm yourself with more of the same? 
Last year, I went down to the basement where I keep our, our canned goods and I was looking over the jars and I realized we had a lot of green beans left. And so last year, I didn't plant the same number of bush beans that I normally do. I did plant a few so that we would have some to eat raw and so we could maybe do a few jars of pickled, you know, dilly beans. But I really dialed back the amount of beans that I planted because I visited the pantry and realized we still had a lot of things there available for us to use. Now this year, I'm going to dial back on some of the tomato varieties that I plant. I'm going to dial back on the slicers and I'm going to up the amount of plum tomatoes that I plant because I want to make more sauce and less stewed tomatoes. So after you visited your pantry, the second thing I would challenge you to do is to visit your garden space. And I mean this both literally and figuratively. If you're not a four season gardener like I am, then you may not have been up to your garden space since you put your bed to bed, <laughs> since you put your garden bed to bed um, in the fall. And sometimes I think it's important for us to go just reacquaint ourselves with the space to remind us of how much space we have to actually work with. Now, you may be planning on expanding your space this year. You may need to think about do I want to grow vertical? Do I want to add containers? But all of those things we need to think about to make sure that we're not like the kid, you know, who took way too much food and put it on his plate. And then we would say his eyes were too big for stomach. Well, sometimes as gardeners, we can be the same way. We buy way too many seeds for the amount of space that we have to work with. And so I think it's important for us just to refresh our memories to take a little bit of a walk around and to remind ourselves of what type of space we have to work with. If we only have room for four tomato plants, then we probably shouldn't buy six different varieties, right? So just keep in mind what you have to work with. Now, if this is going to be your first garden, certainly you're going to want to take a look at that space, but you're probably going to need to do a little bit more research and work and understand about plant spacings, depending on the type of gardening you're going to do. Uh, you know, how much space do you need between tomato plants? How much space do you need between uh, broccoli, between the rows? Um, all of those things are going to help you understand how much seed you should buy. And if that's something that you're really not quite sure how to figure out, I do highly recommend the garden planner over at growveg.com. I don't make any money off of those referrals, but I use it. I love it. And it will really help you work out your spacing uh, without having to go do a lot of in-depth research. But if that's something that you enjoy doing, then get out a piece of paper, draw it out and uh, kind of work through that way. One of the members of the supporting listeners program posted a little garden plan that she'd put together over in the gardening channel. She's going to grow again this year in buckets. So it was very easy for her to kind of lay out the buckets and know how many buckets she's going to have and how much she can grow in a bucket. And that was very helpful for her. And it's going to help her know what she should buy, whether she's going to buy transplants or she's going to buy seeds or whatnot. But knowing that and having worked that out will certainly help her keep from having 
eyes that are too big for her stomach. But I also said to visit your garden figuratively. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you've gardened before, hopefully you have started jotting down notes. So what worked well? What didn't work well? Do you need to change a variety? Was there a variety that grew well for you or a variety that didn't grow so well, that didn't produce so well? Making sure that you revisit those notes is going to also be very helpful in knowing what seeds you should buy. The third thing that you need to do is acquaint yourself or reacquaint yourself with your growing zone and your first and last average frost date. Knowing this information is very, very important, especially when you are ordering seeds from a seed catalog. Hopefully, if you're ordering seeds or buying seeds at a local garden center, they're going to have ordered in seeds that will do well in your area, but you still should look and double check. And so knowing your growing zone and knowing your first and last average frost date is going to be key. Some seed catalogs will have a grow zone in it, and they'll say these seeds do well in zones up through 5A, 5B, whatever. But many times they also have on there the days to maturity. Now, days to maturity is the number of days that it should take on average from when a seed germinates until it produces fruit. And you're going to want to take that into consideration. If you have a grow zone that maybe is a hundred days long, it's short, or maybe it's 120 days long, then you want to make sure that the variety that you're going to plant is going to bring fruit to maturity in that time frame, or else you're setting yourself up for failure. Now, as you become more comfortable with gardening, you can start to push the envelope a little bit. But even still, you want to make sure that you're within the realm of possibility of pushing the envelope and that you're not trying to grow something that really only grows in a tropical climate and you live in upstate New York. And I've used the citrus example before, right? I'm probably never going to successfully grow a lot of citrus in upstate New York, not without a lot of investment in infrastructure. (laughs) And so you just got to keep all of those things in mind, understanding your grow zone or understanding your first and last average frost date and how that's going to impact what you order or buy from a seed perspective. The fourth thing you need to consider is whether or not you're going to start your own transplants. There are certain things like peppers and tomatoes, and a few others that really should be started indoors and not direct sown into the ground. There are certain locations where maybe you can get away with direct sowing tomatoes and peppers, but for most of us, we start those things indoors. And there are a lot of other things like that. So you need to decide before you order seeds, whether or not you're going to start your own transplants. If you're going to start your own transplants, then you would buy seeds to do that. But if you decided, I'm not going to start my own, maybe you don't have the setup, you don't have the space, you don't have the desire, you don't have the time. There's certainly nothing wrong with buying transplants at a local nursery, a local plant sale. All of that is fine. My grandfather bought transplants, I think, 
the entire time that he gardened. I don't think he ever started tomatoes and peppers from scratch. Uh, I at least don't remember him doing that. Certainly nothing wrong with it. But if you've made that decision that you're going to buy your transplants, then you don't want to waste money on buying things like peppers or tomatoes, etc. And certainly if you're brand new to gardening, my recommendation to you is to not to try to start your own transplants your first year, or just try to start a few, but certainly have a backup plan of buying your own transplants. If you want to have peppers and tomatoes in your garden, things of that nature, nothing wrong whatsoever. There's no shame in your game. If you buy transplants, I started out buying a lot of transplants. In fact, I think I've shared with you before that I actually bought two six packs of zucchini. I think it was my first or second year of uh, gardening. Now, zucchini is one of the easiest things to start from seed, but I, I didn't know any better. So I bought transplants, nothing wrong with that. And I quickly learned that six is too much. 12 is way too much zucchini to have on hand, (laughs) but I was stubborn. My grandfather laughed at me when I planted 12 zucchini, Um, but I had bought them. And so by golly, I was going to plant them. Well, it wasn't long before I was pulling zucchini plants up. Uh, But anyhow, I digress. (laughs) The point is that uh, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with buying transplants. Don't feel like you have to start things indoors. If you don't want to, don't do it. Garden like you want to garden. It's all up to you. Whatever brings you joy, happiness, and fulfillment, that's what I want to see. And you growing food, producing for yourself, that's what this is all about. And so if somebody else helps you out by getting a little jump start on it, Nothing wrong whatsoever in that at all. The last thing that I would tell you you need to do before you buy any seeds is to look at what you have on hand. Take into consideration your seed inventory. If you got a little carried away last year or two years ago, those seeds are still probably okay. Most seeds will store for several years and still be viable. As long as you keep them in a relatively cool, dry place, they're going to be fine. They're going to plant, they're going to germinate. You're going to be fine. I'll go ahead and put a link to a page that has a list of the number of years that you can expect seeds to be viable. It's kind of a general guideline. Some seeds maybe will last a little longer than other seeds. Depends on the variety, a lot of things that come into play. Well, hopefully you found this helpful. Five things you should do before you ever order your seeds. If you have any further questions, reach out to me, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. And also, if you have some questions that you would like answered on an upcoming random audience question show, send them to me as well. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Homestead Journey. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.